Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 13, Drive Chats. This is the second series in our season on shows that didn't last 13 episodes before getting canceled. My name is Alan, and I'm not sure what his hot candies mean, but what I do know <laughs> is that he's about to rack up some serious minutes. It's Magellan. Uh, hey, hi. I was watching these wonderful episodes in the same room as roommate of the podcast, Charlie, and Dylan Baker said the hot candies line, and Charlie was like, his what? Because Charlie was doing something else, not looking at the screen. And even I, looking at the screen, <laughs> didn't, didn't have much more information. So I said, well, either they are like cinnamon candies that are hot, which is what they turned out to be, or they're... <laughs> I thought it was candies that had been in his pocket so long they were really warm and Ew. he was trying to barter with them. Anyway. Yucky. Not this time. Not uh, this time. If you can't already tell. Well, actually, hi, Michelle. How are you? You're good. Uh, I'm okay. <clears throat> oh, you're okay? This is why I ask. This is why I ask. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I had too much energy and I at too many points in the evening made the choice to stay up instead of like put effort into falling asleep, you know? Yeah. That was a bad choice. Well said, though. It does take effort to choose to go to sleep. Sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, right. Sometimes you just faint like a Pokemon. How are you doing? I'm okay. I had a similar thing last night where uh, it was like 12 and I was on a call with some people. And I was like, this uh-huh. is the time I should be like definitely asleep. And they were like, what if we watched one more episode? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. will watch it, though. I will watch yeah, I, it. I, I had a little one more episode action last night, too. The trick is to not and I, whatever. Every time I say the trick is, it's like I know no one's going to take it. But <laughs> if you go to bed at 12, <laughs> nine o'clock, you got to say no more. No more game. No more show. Now I only need to do things that I can quit whenever I want, like a book or something or just something relaxing like that. Yeah, you're you're giving yourself a three-hour lead-up to that bedtime? Well, like, do something that's more relaxing at that point, yeah. You can still do stuff. Just do something well, relaxing. You have a lot more restraint than I do. I'm not saying... So, uh, note, note this, please, dear listener. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm unsuccessful <laughs> in this act. I'm just recommending it to the folks. Okay. Uh, this week on chats, we're not just talking about our chaotic sleep schedules or how some people build their personality around saying the word chaotic about everything like me and Magellan. And me, and me. Yep, 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 and you. We're here talking about a chaotic uh, canceled TV show called Drive, which aired in the summer of 2007 for about four episodes before Fox- How far will you go? Let's stop the world someday. I can see the future someday. That's how it ends. And this, I've been gone too long. All right. I was I had to listen to the full version of the song. It's um it's from the lead singer of Bush. We have not talked about that enough. Uh Gavin Rossdale. Yeah, talking about George Bush? Oh. Oh my god. 
That's relevant in 2007. Gavin Rossdale, who I only know because of the song Freaks and Geeks by Childish Gambino, uh, in the back of the bush, like Gavin Rossdale's Gavin drummer. Gavin drummer. Oh. Such a gross line. Such a gross line. Wow. I never understood that, but that line was in my brain. Yep. Right. Exactly. Because he's the lead. Ew, the bush. back of the... I just got the yes. double entendre. I was thinking so much of <laughs> Yuck. Yeah, yuck. That song is all stuff. Donald. 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 (laughs) All right, let's bring it back. Zoom it in. We're talking about Drive. We watched the final two episodes of the TV series Drive. These two are called The Extra Mile and Rear View. First up, we're going to talk about The Extra Mile. This episode was written by Ben Queen, Tim Minear, and Craig Silverstein. It was directed by Paul A. Edwards, who is mostly a cameraman on Man on Fire and a director on TV shows like Heroes and Sleepy Hollow. Both of these episodes, quote unquote, aired on July 15th, 2007. And by aired, I mean that they threw them on the Fox website and they said, uh, drive is done. Here you go. But John, can you tell the folks at home what happened in the extra mile, please? In this episode, as the racers speed toward the next pit stop. Alex, Corinna, Winston, and Sean deal with the ramifications of their jump start. Huh. 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 I what do you think of the extra mile? Did you like it? I'm glad we got the extra mile. <laughs> uh, I feel like I it, it there was a bigger gap than usual from when I watched the last one to this one. And I yeah. totally forgot when this one opened with like Sean being shot, I was like, who? Sean? I like, couldn't find his name in my notes for so long. It was like coming back to the show after a long break, which is what this these episodes also were for people. It was not as long, yeah. a longer break, but regardless. Yeah, um, yeah uh, it's fine, right? It's going to be so hard to talk about episodes that were clearly built, especially episode six, to like set up another arc of a show yeah. that didn't get another arc um, yeah. and like build up reveals mm-hmm. and close out things. But... I think the extra mile mostly succeeds in what it's doing. Uh, we get some good dramatic moments. We get some good performances. And it's fine. It's like a, I don't know. It's like a three and a half out of five for me. Again, we yeah. don't rate things on this show. I just use ratings <laughs> as a sort of barometer for discussion. Huh. What about you? What do you think, Maggie? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I kind of liked it. There were some character things that happen in this episode basically everybody is in their kind of uh that part of the movie where it's the end of the second act and everybody doesn't like each other now and we've got problems that was kind of what this episode felt like and it was fun to see these character relationships that we'd been following uh for the last four episodes all kind of you know, rhyme with each other in terms of how they're progressing. Um, the the stuff that was like a drama where guys punch each other, I didn't <laughs> like like that much. Yeah. Um, but you know, this this episode really cemented for me that if Drive had continued, I'd watch the rest of it. Same. Fine. It's yeah. it's funny because I come to the, I, it's not that I come to drive for the human moments I definitely don't I come to it for the cars <laughs> and for the <laughs> fun mystery, but the human moments are the best parts of the show right like when you write a series like this you create an interesting story and surround it with human moments, um mm. and there just aren't enough of them that when they do happen I'm like wait is drive good 
hold on. Uh, freaking Emma Stoner and Dylan Baker are hanging out talking about family, and I'm almost getting, I'm getting a little choked up here. This is also in the same show where Alex Tully sneaks into an illegal boxing ring and fixes Sean's bullet wounds by <laughs> offering up his old sports car to this guy named Gil who doesn't matter at all. Like, mm-hmm. it's a it's a land of contrasts in the extra mile, and yeah. I don't think it all comes together, but. That also no. just contributes to the overall sense in Drive that it's a very disjointed so series because they filmed mm. all of it on different green screens. So there's like hmm. not a lot, even when they're out of the cars, there's not a lot of like the sense that characters know each other. Yeah. Um, like to speak to the the Alex Tully of it all for a moment, um, you, you had mentioned yeah. in your notes like you said, oh man, like well, how did the detective get here? The detective from Oklahoma, no, it was Oklahoma? Nebraska. No nebraska nebraska how did it get here and it's like yeah it doesn't this is a show that takes place across the united states but it doesn't feel like people are going anywhere unfortunately Hmm. and so you're like these aren't in the same universe and then you realize no he could totally drive theoretically from nebraska to where they were uh, to appomattox and like locate them and track them down but i I think they ended up explaining it in a way that made enough sense to me where we get the flashbacks of the Nebraska detective guy saying to the other detectives, hey, his car was spotted driving really fast and uh, Mm -hmm. he's not here anymore. I think it's him out there driving really fast. So I kind of liked that. But the episode definitely threw him at us before explaining it. And I was uh, a little a little confused about how he found us out here detective early which is spelled e-h-r-l-e by the way sure why not why not there's a lot of weird character names in this let's zoom in on that that stuff though for just a bit so um help me sort of assemble the order of operations here if you will with the alex tully stuff yeah so we get some scenes that remind us what happened the episode prior which was helpful uh, Sean gets shot at the bank. By the way, uh, okay, before we go past this, yep, is it ever explained, like, they were sent to that bank to steal something, right? And that a safety was deposit to... box, yeah. And they didn't get it? Is that correct? No, I think they got it. What was in it? The USB stick? They already had that, didn't they? This is what I'm confused about. Did they get... Uh, Where did they get the USB stick from? Karina already had that at the beginning of the show. Oh, okay. That's why the guy was... The cool guy from next episode was chasing her. Is because he was like, give me back that USB stick. Then what did they get out of the, the lockbox? Yeah. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I don't know. <laughs> I think... Th- this. This is the frustrating thing is... Essentially, the whole like jumpstart plot is presented as like you made a deal with the devil. What a big mistake it was. You took the jumpstart, but it cost you. And it's like, huh? So they wanted them to steal something from the bank. I don't know who they is. For some reason, it didn't work out. We got shot. So now we're going to not do it anymore. But them getting shot, was that part of it? Like, <laughs> I, I, anyway, it's just the overarching issue with Drive, which is like, 
the show is keeping too many things close to the vest when it comes to like the overall running of the race. I I I just don't find it helpful mm-hmm. to be so secretive about it. Um, it leads to it leads to a big disconnect where I get we're supposed to feel like Tali and company where we're like I don't know what's going on, but I literally don't know textually what's going on like on the yeah. show as a result of like how little they're talking about things. Yeah. So anyway, we had the bank thing. Didn't go very well. Sean got shot. And so Tully goes into old Tully mode. He says, you all stay at the motel. I'm going to take Sean to this kind of underground doctor guy. Dr. Gill. Dr. Gill, who, yeah, like you said, is a very nondescript guy (laughs) who's not that scary. Um, And Tully basically gets Gill to help Sean, but Gil is kind of like suspicious because Tully's been out of the game for a while and now all of a sudden he's back. He wants Gil to fix this guy up. What's your game? What are you going for? How'd this guy get shot? Why aren't you taking him to a real doctor? You're lying to me. Uh, Sean, under the the uh, the morphine, just starts talking about the $32 million prize. And so now, annoyingly so now, convenient. <laughs> Yeah, so Gil's like, hold on, he just said $32 million, what's up with that? So Gil is trying to grill, Gil the Grill, I'm going to call him right Mm -hmm. now and never again. Gil the Grill is trying to get Tully to spill, uh, shoot, the, eh, that's what I got. He's trying to get Tully to spill (laughs) on the bills. Oh. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And Tully doesn't want to do that. So he parcels out the information he's willing to provide. Yeah, no, he's willing wife. to shill. He's willing to shill. Come on. Ooh, welcome to the fun. You do that with <laughs> I've some been skill. here. Thank you. I have a plum. Uh, still. Some, somebody used the word still. Okay, anyway. I feel like I have to shoot a laser pointer at a cat <laughs> to bring you back sometimes. <laughs> So Tully is willing to share some information with Gil, like, hey, okay, I this is what happened on that last job that you heard rumors about. I Terry Moss. Also, yeah, they bring up Terry, Terry Moss, Moss, a character who extremely doesn't exist. You're like, <laughs> oh, what happened after you and the heist and you left Terry Moss holding the bag? I can't believe what you did to Terry Moss. I'll never forgive you. And it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. Uh-huh, <laughs> keep going. And just to pick up from where you left off, the the he pulls the bullets out of of Sean. They do the cute little like pating as the bullets plink into the can, and mm-hmm. you get the sense that Gil knows has knows about Tully's past as a getaway driver, and is like, "You're gonna get me in on this money." And also, why did you bring people here? This kid that's working with Gil in the arena, the fighting play, the fighting gym, uh, realizes that a cop has arrived there and. Gil's like, what the hell? You're not allowed to do that. That's that's, that's I'm get you get out of here. The cop is the detective that we saw um, talking to Tully's sister a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, he he's arrived after following the trace of the car and uh, gets his shit pushed in pretty quickly. Unfortunately, uh-huh. uh, he gets uh, tied up, beat up, and then Nathan Filling gets to actually do fun stuff for a few minutes. Actually, for actuals. Um, he pretends that the cop is his partner and that the cop is pretending to be a cop. We're in actual, <laughs> so it's like a double, double. I think I got that right. Yeah. 
It's like a double double. I thought, I thought that was a really funny, funny, fun scene that yeah. showed kind of Alex Tully's ability to think on his feet. Right, and it's him taking charge too, because he has spent so much time being like, "Who am I? What is my role? What do I do?" And now he's like, "This is what I do: is I lie to people and I play different roles and I put on different hats, and people believe me because I'm, you know, a default character in a cu- customization in a video game. I can be mm-hmm. made to look and act like anything." Uh, so I like that. Yeah, I, I also really enjoyed all of that stuff. Um, but they tie up the the detective, and uh, what's the like result of all of that? So what ends up happening is basically they have the detective tied up and then they put a gun on Alex Tully and tell him like, okay, you need to suffocate this detective guy to death because we're trying to make sure there are no loose ends here. Yeah. What he does is he puts the bag over Gil's head to get Gil's friend to put his gun down, give his gun over, takes the gun and then Tully, I think, just like scares off Gil and his guy, right? I think he like he threads them or something. Yeah, he doesn't like kill them. No, no. What no. I remember. Um, and then he basically uses this situation to prove to the cop guy, look, I got roughed up by those ruffians just out here trying to find my wife. And the cop guy's like, hey, man, fair is fair. Fair enough. Go, go for it. <laughs> Chase your bliss, my guy. And then he just leaves, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, if you can't tell, the, the show really doesn't have an interest in, like, sitting with anything ever. Yeah, there are moments where the storytelling clarity is awesome. Like, the sequence that takes you from Nebraska Cop in Nebraska to here, where it's, like, quick cuts of his flashbacks punctuated by him getting slapped in the face or whatever. I thought the like filmic storytelling and the the rapidity of that was awesome yeah and then there are other moments where it's just not clearly communicated what's happening Mm -hmm. um so it's really i don't know that's what i found kind of interesting about both these episodes is that structurally it's a little hit hit and miss uh with like what's coming across and then you know dialogue wise there'll be stuff that feels like a kind of fun cheesy action movie and then stuff that feels way too overwritten like the part where Tully has Gil in the bag and he's basically walking the kid through like a Pascal's wager of like here are your options you could a keep the gun shoot me and you'll shoot your boss b uh shoot your boss or or wait till I kill your boss and then shoot me c give me the gun yeah it's like a too long of a of an exchange and i thought it was pretty amusing yeah again it's nathan villian getting to do fun stuff which i always am am here for that's like what you come to this show for mostly i have a question Um, for you oh okay how how seriously are you able to take nathan villian uh it depends on the character he's playing i think in this i can take him seriously enough because this is, as you said in our Drive Chats Zero One episode, um, this is like pilot of Firefly, Nathan Fillion, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, he punches people and he's like kind of tough. But also, I really know him as an actor more than I know him as any character. And so I always see him as a little bit like artificial, but that's just a factor mm-hmm. of like the internet lets us see people outside of their roles a lot. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm sure when I was watching this originally, I was just like, yeah, that's Alex Tully. I didn't think about Nathan Fillion, the actor, too much. But now I can't yeah. not. Do you do you feel like he's just too, like, you're like, oh, that's Mal Reynolds? Um, I don't see Mal Reynolds. When I see Nathan Fillion, I see Captain Hammer or uh, Castle. Castle. So to me, he's like a funny guy. I I always think what he's doing is funny. Mm. So in this where he's doing things that don't seem like they're supposed to be funny, I have a hard time suspending my disbelief just because of what I've seen him do in other stuff. His trick is always just biting down really hard on his lip and being and looking angry. But that's that's basically the gist of what he does. Uh so yeah, I think that covers uh, the Tully adventures of this week. So he gets so Sean's no longer full of bullets, and he's doing better. Let's briefly talk about Wendy and Ivy. Uh, there's a couple fun mm-hmm. stuff, fun scenes in here. Wendy's trying mm-hmm. to teach Ivy early in the episode how to drive while driving, which mm-hmm. like I know you, if you don't, if you feel comfortable saying this, don't have your license. So that's correct. Uh, yeah, uh, you were mentioning in your notes that like that's you. Being like, why do you mean you press your foot on the gas? And me, as somebody who's been driving for a while, I'm like, is it that hard to intuit as an adult, which Ivy is, like the 101 of driving a car is like right foot on gas, left foot on, or right foot on gas and right foot on brake and move the wheel. Like that part seems easy. The part that's not easy is obviously like road awareness, where to be looking, stuff like that. And like, I think uh, uh, Wendy's car is a stick shift. Which, like, if that's the case, mm-hmm. then, like, yeah, you got to learn. How- I don't know how to drive a stick. I but- mean, I think the hard thing about driving is what's hard about uh, any skill, which is that, like, you need to, when you're learning how to do something, everything you do has to be consciously done because you're like, wait, okay, now I want to accelerate. So I need to move my foot this way. Oh, I got to make sure my heels here so I can reach both the things. And so we, in the second episode, we see Ivy has stolen a car and she's trying to drive it. And she's like thump, er, 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 bumping down the road because she's like trying to make those decisions. And I think you couple that with like, like that's the way that I approach whenever I have to cook something, for example. Yeah. Is I take a long time to. You're like, okay, so I, I need this many tablespoons of this. Okay, this one's the tablespoon. Okay, this is how I do this. It's like a slow, methodical process, which when you're cooking something is fine because you're not in a metal death machine <laughs> surrounded by metal death machines that could run into you and kill you. But when you're driving, there's that added stress of like, I need time to make this choice consciously. And also if I take that time, I am in danger and now I have to make a new choice. Uh, well, so I think that's like the, the challenge of it. Yeah. And the fun of the quote unquote fun of driving is doing learning eventually to do those things automatically. Right. But right. I, I saw Ivy not being able to move the car forward partly as it being a stick shift and she doesn't know how to change gears, which like that's usually how that's yeah, depicted that, in media. That's what I got from that as well. But I I agree, like, it's something that you don't just intuit uh, or you have to you learn to intuit. You don't default to know how to do everything. Yeah. But she knows which pedals do what like it's doing it all at once. You mean? Yeah. She just doesn't want to. She's like scared to drive is the point. That too. And so 
when uh, the great line where uh, where Wendy says, I'll teach you how to drive. What if I showed you how to drive? Ivy says, I don't have time to learn how to drive. All I have time to do is win. <laughs> it's really it's good. Her, her not being nervous about driving along with like wanting to be efficient or whatever. Um, so um, this ties into the scene right before the credits, which um, is another example surrounding Wendy Petrakis where you're like, what is the show doing thematically? Um, mm-hmm. She realizes that Ivy was a looter during hurricane Katrina. And she says, you were a looter. And can Ivy goes, I'm a survivor. I still am. And I like gagged out loud at that line. Right. Like I, I coughed mm-hmm. in, 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 in shock because that this is just such a ham-fisted way to talk about Katrina in like yeah it, yeah it's really really sloppy and i forgot that the looter discourse was happening then like history just keeps repeating itself whenever crises happen instead of focusing on like the systemic issues around the crisis people are always like but there was looting isn't that like so sad that like katrina happened and then like poor people stole things and it's like dog look zoom out like one level <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it's it's like why are we pathologizing surviving as this thing that like twists your i don't know it was weird i i get that like people had to do that and i just think the episode portrays it in such a strange way and it all all the katrina stuff feels tacked on to this character that like could just have not like in no other conversations does it really feel like oh she's a character who's been through like a natural disaster yeah she just seems like kind of a yeah i'm the silly silly girl character who like i don't really care about social decorum Ah, let's drive whatever by the way you ever heard of hurricane katrina because i was in it okay and i stole stuff because Great I had character. to. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to do here? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, um, it feels very rip, ripped from the headlines in a way that's not entertaining to me. The funny thing, though, is that pivots from Wendy being like, yeah, I really have to go back for Sammy. I really have to go back for Sammy. She's like, well, what are you going to do? They're talking about, like, do you want me to, like, leave me here? I can't drive. Don't leave the car for me. And then Wendy's like, I take control of the situation. <laughs> she turns the car around at 180 degrees into traffic. And that's where we, that we cut awesome. the credits. I was like, that was awesome. okay. Because due to the fact that the show is filmed primarily on green screens, you forget that we're in, like you said earlier, metal death machines. And mm-hmm. occasionally they, they zoom out and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Dying. <laughs> Driving in hmm. traffic is scary. Driving mm-hmm. on the highway is scary. Um, But for this episode, that's the main thing. And then, so Wendy talks about how uh she reveals part of the reason she's so attached to sammy her son is that she lost her daughter uh right after she, she was born and mm. whoo they get into some really dicey material here with her relationship to yeah, richard yeah. her husband um yeah. i'm gonna say if people are uncomfortable with ta- hearing talk about it like domestic assault uh, we're going to be referencing some lines that are a little bit intense not the worst ever but th- definitely be aware just yeah. jump ahead like like two to three minutes because we don't have too much to say here other than it kind of sucks. Um, that's that said. So Wendy, you know, like I said, says that she lost her daughter. Sam is her reason for living. 
She doesn't like Richard. She says, not the way he touched me with his fists and his feet. Confirming what we already figured, which is that he's a physically abusive partner. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of like Ivy turning around and being like, actually, yeah, I agree. Your husband does suck. I don't think I can help you get your son back. But like, yeah, your husband's side. And if I ever saw your husband, F that guy. And mm-hmm. is it in this episode, though, that everything happens? Or is that I don't actually think that the conclusion to all of that. Occurs. The thing that happens in this episode, eventually Ivy gets out of the car because Wendy's driving into oncoming traffic and she's like, okay, 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 get me out of here. And then we find at the end of the episode that Ivy has Wendy's phone uh, and she answers it and it's Richard, Wendy's husband on the other end of the line. And he's like, who is this? Ivy figures out that it's him and she starts like chewing him out basically and saying, you know, screw you, you're a terrible guy. Oh, you are hitting your wife. You suck. I hate you. Um, in a really weirdly shot sequence, like there's this rapid oh my God. overlapping lines thing that is meant to be like, this is so intense, but feels like what they did is they just let the actor like talk for five minutes and then chopped it up into this. It's like, doesn't, it didn't work for me. Um, and then she accidentally reveals the location of, Sammy so yeah, yeah. that Richard can can find him and, and Wendy in the next episode. Um, but yeah, the show, I mean, it portrays domestic abuse with the same level of nuance and thoughtfulness as it portrays Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> like it Or the Iraq feels, War. Or the Iraq War or having medical bills and problems mm-hmm. and a terminal diagnosis or whatever. Uh, it's just another, like, you know, justification for Wendy is a character who has a deal. Here's her deal. This is her deal. God, this guy's terrible. And, like, yeah, sh- for sure, that's also so easy to say <laughs> that it means basically nothing. Yeah, it comes out on the other end with no opinion and no take, which, like, is really disappointing because I think that there's potential if we're to talk about at a greater point, like what could drive have done then like, maybe there was something in there about like, this is a, a place like this race is a, is a uh, sort of like space outside of the social mores of capitalism where like we no. compete purely on the like power of our vehicles and our brains. And mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about the baggage that like the real world carries with us, like war and marital abuse and everything and like health care the united states healthcare system uh mm-hmm. it's all there there's like um like a skeleton of a really cool idea there but yeah. instead it mostly just wants to be like god get it. having an abusive spouse must really be bad and like i think that they had they could have totally handled this if they had yeah. the time but it's yeah. simply runs out of steam by the end of this episode by by the end of the series which is a bummer yeah i think by the end of the second episode they they're putting the characters in a situation where they could address it more directly and i'm curious i wonder what that would have looked like and if they could have done this in a more interesting and like thoughtful way but it everything about how it was portrayed in this episode felt very pat and like not particularly deep. I don't know. You said something in what you're saying that's 
made me think of an unrelated point, but I wanted to bring this up to you, which is uh, you were talking about like a competition existing outside of the mores of capitalism uh, where characters could kind of engage with it and be somewhat freed from, you know, the problems of their life while they're engaged in the game. And uh, I didn't see this show, which was a kind of smash Netflix hit a few months ago, but <laughs> my roommate of the pod, Charlie, when, when I was watching Drive, was talking about a show that does a much better job, apparently, of explaining like why characters are involved in something and why the competition's happening the way it is. Yeah, it's Squid Game. Squid Game. Yeah. Um, it's about this. Any, anything to be compared between Squid Game and Drive? Yeah, we we talked about it with Bartek and Ryan. Like, there, this concept has been done so much better in yeah. other shows that, like, but there's just something specific that's different. Like, Squidding can't do this, where like it's the the Americana association with the open road and the freedom right. that going west provides, and this like mm. colonial colonialist fantasy of like we're gonna get there first and we're gonna find our like meaning for life out mm. west and. God, there's so much potential there that it makes me sad that the show ended. But, like, they don't seem like they were equipped to handle any of that. Whereas a show like Squid Game came into came out the gate with a beginning, middle, and end. And yeah. stuff like Alice in Borderland and stuff like, uh, you know, all the, like, Danganronpa video games are all about this kind of thing of, like, you're going to have to kill people, but you're going to learn about each other in this like isolated space that's away from the rest of the world. And you're going to like understand systemic abuse and violence because of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so like drive could be that stuff, but it doesn't have enough grit on it. It's a cable network television show and uh, it's characters are too broadly sketched right now. And they never got a chance to become full characters. So it's kind of lament, lament worthy um, in that way. Uh, I think two characters, though, that do feel fleshed out by now, um, who we both seemed to really like, by the way. Are Lee Um, and the guy that she's hitchhiking with? uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Lee's (laughs) been hitchhiking after uh, escaping the car crash, the T-bone incident. She's, like, talking to herself in that scene. You you were going to say Violet and and Dad, just to be clear. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just am. I'm choosing to pivot because this one's yeah, I have yeah. less to say about, it and I'd like to knock yeah. it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lee talking to herself is really rough. Um, yeah, this like you know the, you're gonna get through. You're gonna get through, and the guy's like, "What the fuck? Like, right? Get through what?" And she's like, "Susan didn't die for this," and he's like, "Who's are you, Susan?" <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of thing- funny. Yeah, it's funny, and it's definitely not supposed to be funny in the way that it is. Yeah. Um, The thing that I kept thinking about with the Lee plot is if this was a show where it was like Game of Thrones world or aesthetic, and Lee had been traveling with Susan on horseback, and (laughs) they got attacked by like a monster or big bear or something, and Susan died, all of these beats would totally work, right? Yeah. would be like, oh, man, Susan died. Oh, that's so sad. She's hearing voices happened. now, yeah. She's hearing voices, talking to herself. But, like, it wasn't a monster in a medieval world. It was a, like, fucking SUV. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, like it, it just, the image of it is so dumb looking. You got T-boned. You got T-boned by people in the big, race. This big car bumped you off the road, and now you're dead. And I just can't, like, it doesn't work for me to do something this grim and, like, fantasy or sci-fi operatic 
in a world that is just like the normal ass highway where there's regular Gregs picking you up in their cars. I don't know. Also, like if they give me the full season and establish Lee and Susan as friends and as like people right. who help each other instead right. of those five minutes where they got to be friends. And then yeah. when she dies, I'm like, okay, I now understand Lee's arc in why she wants to be the one who succeeds. But like right. she should have bitterness towards the game. I'm surprised yeah. that she still wants to be in the game considering the game are the people who, who like killed Susan. Um, but instead it's just like, no, nah, I must win the game. I must win the game. That's my only objective is beat win the game. So she ends up at a gas station where she runs into John and Violet uh, who are inside again. It's the same gas station set. And again, at some point in these episodes, somebody says, <laughs> do you want any snacks? Uh, yeah. It's, it's now yeah. funny. It's now become a running gag and I like it a lot. <laughs> Um, so this runs us into uh, John and Violet's plot. Uh, Violet early in the episode finds John's pills in the like dash or something. We get the mm. dramatic music where she's like, "Dad, what are these?" And he, you know, it's a TV show, so he has to n- not tell the truth. He's also trying to protect her, and so he's like, "Oh, I have really bad allergies, and I take five different allergy medications." Mm. And she's like, "What about OxyContin? The war on drugs, the opioid crisis is just kind of cooking up." Here yeah. in 2007, yeah. and we're demonizing people for having OxyContin prescriptions. Um, and so she's like, not that she's demonizing him, but that she's like, it's like this is an emergency. You're not supposed to yeah. have painkillers. Right. Uh, he could totally have these for a legitimate reason. He eventually explains uh, his whole thing to her, and mm-hmm. she breaks down and cries, and they have this whole like falling out in the diner, and she's like, "How am I supposed to trust anything you say?" And then he starts dropping out, dropping some banger lines. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I know the mean temperature on the surface of Saturn, but I can't talk to my 17-year-old daughter. <laughs> Snaps for you, Dylan Baker. Snaps for you. That's poetry in motion. Yeah. Uh, do you ever think about how Violet would be 32 years old today, by the way, if she was 17? Which means that do you also think about the fact that Emma Stone was 17 when she made this show? Because she's now Which 30. Means Emma Stone is 32? She's 33, actually, but yeah. 33. So she would have been like 17, 18, probably 17 when they filmed. Yeah. Pretty weird. Emma Stone's so like, she is so acting way above her weight class in this show. Like yeah. she's so much more interesting to watch than a lot of the other people on the show. Yep. And some of the things she's doing are like a little corny and like scenery chewing to a certain extent because she's a 17 year old acting and like still learning how to do it but it's just one of those times where i feel like this isn't always the case but like you see her in the show and you're like oh she's a like a movie star she's yeah. great it it her and dylan baker's scenes were to me the best parts of the episode best parts of the series tbh yeah yeah um yeah it's because it actually feels like i said this last week it feels like they're real people and they yeah. are playing to type instead of playing unrealistically. And they've been like that since the beginning. Like I had a mm-hmm. note that by the final episode, I was like, wow, Winston's a character now. And that's because they stopped doing the fucking every single racist stereotype of Hispanic people that they could think of. They finally stopped doing that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, under all of that murk and grime, there's an actor who knows how to play Winston decently. Mm-hmm. Uh, not mm-hmm. with a remarkable amount of nuance, but like, yeah. And, and so... 
uh, Dylan Baker and Emma Stone like got that from minute one, and they've just been good yeah. characters. Yeah. Um, we get a fun montage in the middle of this, by the way, of like here's how everybody's kind of weird. Lee's like stealing food. She's just like picking apples up off the the counter, um, and like taking stuff because she's unhinged. John is trying to get a car. Winston is sitting in that weird cabin that looks like it's the Judy cabin from Twin Peaks with Corinna. <laughs> he has this conversation, by the way, where he's like, do you want to be my partner? We can just leave our partners and become partners. I don't care about my literal blood half-brother. Um, that doesn't really go anywhere, though. She, she just kind of no. shuts him down on that. And then <laughs> John is like, oh, I need a car because Violet took the uh, took the car? Yeah, Violet took the car. Yeah, and the first car he sees is Lee's, and it just beautifully, coincidentally works out that he's like, "Hey, well, you're it's a in ran- the race." It's a random guy, and he and Lee steal it at the same time. That's a, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, this is a pairing I did not expect to see. <laughs> I was really happy to see them team up. It's the that's why you have these gas station sets is that you can shuffle out who's in the cars. It's like when you mm-hmm. go to a rest stop on a long drive and you shuffle who's driving and who's like in the mm-hmm. passenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing. They just put different people in different cars. Um, so all that stuff's really fun. And uh, now we have uh, Lee and John in a car and Violet's on her own. Uh, some people get to, or yeah, I think it's Lee and John who get to the Appomattox uh, like checkpoint. And there mm-hmm. is a jar of candy that's labeled bright properties. And it says take two. And they pull two fireball candies out. And is it here that immediately John is like, I know what this is? Or who who solves it here? I forget. I honestly wasn't paying close attention to this part. So no, it's I have not. no idea. Well, unfortunately, it's a, sure. it's a solution that's never going to go anywhere. Right? Right. We're not going to see it. Yeah. They, take they basically two... figure out where to go next. Two great balls of fire, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. In Cleveland? Where's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. Cleveland Rocks. Cleveland Rocks. Ohio. Cleveland Rocks. Yeah, they're going to Cleveland next. Um, So, and then also there's this this dumb part here where John is like flexing that he knows about the Civil War. And he's like, you know, there was like the Civil War started and ended on the same guy's doorstep. And that man's name, and they don't say it, but he's I Googled it. He's talking about Wilmer McLean. Did you know that? Cool. Yeah, no, cool. I didn't. <laughs> now you know, in case you ever teach the Civil War again uh, in yeah. your lifetime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, that last scene is the Ivy talking to Richard part, and you're like, oh, no, Richard's coming. He's gonna. He's a cartoon evil man. Mm-hmm. That's it, folks. That's Drive. No, I'm just kidding. That's the extra mile. There's still one extra episode that they put on the Fox website, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about it. But first, uh, Majel, we have a voicemail that we received. We sure do. So uh, Nick of the Brothers at Infinite War, a patron, a Discord member, an all-around wonderful fellow, sent us a voice message to our email, chatspot at gmail.com, talking about On the Air, which was the first of our 13 Under 13 canceled shows, season of shows show. It was the first show that we did before this. Uh, so I have Nick's message here, and neither of us have heard it, and I'm going to play it right now. Okay, you ready? Yeah, he asked us not to listen to this ahead of time, so we're hearing it for the first time. Here we go. Hey, chatbot. Nick here. Wait, um, I think I forgot something. Hold on. Hey. That's- 
uh, I just wanted to call in and say thank you for watching on the air. So we didn't have to. I tried to get through it. I only got a few episodes in. But I think I get what they're trying to accomplish. I'm partially reminded of the Larry Sanders show from the early 90s. Uh, that while I didn't see a lot of it, it did seem like it was a couple steps away from on the air trying to do that behind the scenes kind of thing. Maybe a little bit more co- more coherent, uh, obviously. Um, yeah, so I did, did think that they're still almost there. Uh, but what I wanted to call in and give a question to you, even though you guys are fully in drive gear, uh, is which is worse, on the air or the stand? which is the current holder of Worst Show Covered on Chats. Thanks. Talk to you later. Nick. All right. So first of all, Nick, you're a gentleman and a scholar. (laughs) The reason I had an emotional response is the music that he used there is royalty-free music that I used to use on a previous chat season for the mailbag segment. So Wow. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Come on, Nick. Nick, that's amazing. And that just, you just like activated really, really old memories for me. So thank you. Um, to your question, what is the worst chat show so far? Does on the air take it? I think the stand, oh God, I think the stand still has to take it. Right? On the air is like interesting, but it's such um, a mess. It's such a mess. It's so hard to answer worst, right? Because if you were, if you were to ask me, okay, which of these two things would I rather show someone like the first episode of to be like, Hey, check this thing out. I would rather show people on the air. Cause like that first episode is like, isn't this kind of weird and interesting? People would be like, yeah, for sure. But if you were to ask me, which one would I rather rewatch in its entirety now? Mm-hmm. It'd be the stand. Come on. Come it's on. It's also so short. It's so short. So stupid. You got a <laughs> jean jacket bag guy. Come on, it's beautiful. I'm just looking at the list right now, trying to see if there's a show that could possibly be worse. I the thing is that we like shows that are messy. Like the newsroom is so entertaining, despite being a trash, right. trash, trash, trash show. Right. The the greatest uh sort of dock or the greatest the greatest knock against the show is boring. Right. Boring. That's yeah. the worst thing that you can be is boring. And the stand is sometimes boring. Was boring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No, they both have boring parts. I would say on the air had more potential to be like, oh my God, this could have been like a freaking forgotten gem, hilarious, amazing thing. I didn't go into the stand expecting to love it. I loved the first episode though. I truly think the first episode of stand like is great. And then it just kind of plummets into the beyond the floor (laughs) into toiletsville. Yeah. I don't don't know. It's tough. Like I could go the rest of my life without, not without watching the stand. Uh, no, on the air. <laughs> I could never watch on the air again. It'd be fine. Really? Yeah. I don't know. But what about... But what about... I'm trying to think of anything from on the air. What about Bozeman Simplex? Okay, fine. You know what? I'm going to give it up. I don't know if I want to say it's the worst one. I don't know. We also watched it, it like the method that we watched it made it kind of hard to appreciate. Pleasant, yeah. Like when I watched, because I we found out later that on the air was on um, archive.org. Internet archive, yeah. And I was like, wait, I can just watch. I can like sit down and pause and enjoy on the air and not like have to glue my eyes to the screen while taking notes to watch it this one time on a stream that's like five levels deep in the stream. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely 
think that that's a factor but uh true god the stand is so bad though remember when the remember when the hand of god lifts up the nuke and blows everybody up Mm. that's very bad that's bad you don't like that (laughs) oh god we're broken we're broken we're broken (laughs) right don't work no more i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to the stand is my least favorite show we've covered on the sea on here so i'm I'm gonna say on the air is my least favorite i'll say that okay i don't know if it's true but i'll i'll say it yeah well when we get to new amsterdam oops just kidding (laughs) i don't know anything about it hey hey why you gotta do my boy nicolaj like that (laughs) (laughs) i think it's nikolai i'm not sure uh regardless here we go guys thank you again to nick if you would like to uh record a voicemail send it to us or write out an email and send it to us chatspot at gmail.com is the source of those um we love receiving your feedback so uh thank you again and we'll be right back after this brief musical break to discuss the series finale of drive <laughs> so sad to say uh but it is Hey Magellan! Ooh, that felt good. This is when I I give you to the people who've been following us so that I can host the podcast alone. <laughs> I'm not sure of my own character motivations. Uh, as a parody of Drive. Uh, either are they, so it's actually on point. Yeah. So uh, we never thought we'd get here, <laughs> <laughs> but this day had to come sooner or later. Unfortunately. We are talking about the final episode of Drive, episode six, Rear View. Rear View. It was written by Ben Queen, Tim Minear, and Scott M. Gimple, directed by Michael Cattleman. And it was uh, put on the Fox website on July 15th, 2007. What were you doing on uh, July 15th, 2007? Where were you? Were you watching Drive the day it dropped? I was <laughs> I was 13. I had just turned 13. Summer between 7th uh, and 8th grade for us. Yep. Yep. I think I also went to Syria this year. These are like the two summers. Summer 05, summer 07, I think, were the two. Okay. So I think I was preparing to go to Syria again. That's the big thing I had going on that week. That weekend, okay. that summer. Because okay. it was summer 05 is when Katrina happened. And then it was summer 07 when they were making shows about Hurricane Katrina. Then you missed both of those moments. Yeah, my bad. That's funny. The Lost Generation. What about you? I have no idea. You were probably 14. Yeah. Pretty, I can, well, no, I was 13 going on 14. (laughs) Let's 
play some video games. You were probably playing oh. Sonic Heroes. Wait. Yeah, what year did that come out? Let's hold check on, that real hold quick. On, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What was the most current Sonic oh my God. games in 2007? Did you nail it? 2007? No, no. Sonic Heroes is 2003. Ooh, deep cut. By 2007, we had like Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. Yeah, I was probably playing the Nintendo Wii. <laughs> I wanted one really badly. I got teased a lot in school for wanting one. I yep. remember that. You know what game we most certainly had was Sonic and the Secret Rings for the that Nintendo Wii. That was February 07 that came out. So that's the one yeah. that you yeah. were playing. Yeah. The Sonic and the Secret Or Rings. watching my brother play it or something like that. My brother, my brother and games. Yeah. Anyway, um... We just don't we just don't want this party to come to a close. That's why oh. we're taking our time here. There's a new thing on Google Docs where you can put an emoji on the side. Do it. I comment. wanna see it. You mean like crying laughing? I'm like, yeah, in, a t- in the summary of the episode. Nice yeah, great I'm just job. smiling at this summary. Could you read it for us? In this episode, Corinna and Alex devise a dangerous plan to gain info on the race and find a missing Catherine when they discover that Winston and Sean have the flash drive. Meanwhile, Ivy hitches a ride from Violet while John hopes to reconnect with his daughter. (laughs) Meanwhile, again, Rob turns himself into the military and faces the consequences. That's incorrect. He doesn't face the consequences in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Worth noting, we also learned that Ellie is a duplicitous genius mastermind. Yeah. So this episode... Like you said to me in our text, opens the next arc of Drive. Yeah. It's the worst case scenario for a show canceled too soon. This episode starts to like give us some lore on the race and the characters. Guys, ah, you're making me sad here. Yeah. Um, so I think should we Talk about the lore stuff first. Should we talk about the structure of the episode? Where, where do you want to begin? Um, I think just, just referencing the structure of the episode, which is a lot of it is told um, sort of in flashback. We start by seeing the final scene of the episode where Tully gives up Corinna to the like uh, to the company, the race people, the yeah. race people and, uh, and then punches Winston, and you're like, wow, I guess Tully's unhinged, which we already knew. This isn't actually that surprising. But him giving up Karina, mm-hmm. you're like, huh, that's so weird. And her, her voiceover is like, but he knew he had to do it for the right reason. And then we flash back, and we see what led up to that moment. It's a very classic, honestly kind of tropey setup for an episode. He's like, let's see the wild thing, and then rewind back and explain how we got there. Um, I feel so stupid that I didn't clock it right away as like a plan that they were all in on. They that's they sell a, it fairly well, but it is such yeah, a, like, but yeah. such, such a, like you're saying, tropey plot. Like, I think there was a Firefly episode that did that, maybe. Yeah, every show, like there was. every ensemble show does this, yeah. where one person is like, I give up, and for some reason the bad guys are like, I guess he gives up, and then it turns out he didn't give up at all. Breaking news, Matt Groening gives up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, just like Tully. Um we start the episode though in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, don't, don't. We can't make jokes just for each other. That Why not? Work. People actually, I disagree. I used to agree 100%. Go watch, if you want to understand the, those references, go watch the Monster Factory episode where they play Black Desert Online. 
don't worry too much about the people not understanding it. If we let it go, they're not going to worry about it. Or if they do get it, they're going to be really happy that they got it without the explanation. You're right. But now, even if you didn't get it, you can go watch that video, which is a, a classic. It's a gla- That's a fucking donkey Glass. reference. You must stop. <laughs> Did you know that the IMDb episode pages for this show were made when they aired? And so the only review, if you go right now on IMDb, as of April 26, 2022, I don't know if it's it? been deleted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's read it. It's short. The one review of this episode is hilarious. Uh, I have it up here. God, you have to go through three other things called Drive when you Google IMDb Drive before you get Drive. My life hack is to go to Nathan Fillion's page and search the Control F Drive. That's the way I do it. That's smart. Okay, so rear view. Here we are. Review. IMDb. Rear view review. Rear view. Rear review. Okay, here he is. Title. Non-existent episode. Uh, this is from Land 14 on October 18th, 07. Episodes 5 and 6 were released to the USA-only market as so-called webisodes. This episode does not exist. Unfortunately, there does not to be a, there does not appear to be a way to delete an episode on IMDb once it's been added. I am, however, attempting to locate information on what this and subsequent episodes might have contained. I notice I am prohibited, prohibited from including URLs in this comment. Suffice to say that Tim Minear has given a post-drive wrap-up interview which sheds light on where this wonderful series might have taken us fans. As Mm -hmm. Tim is known for including references to his previous shows in his newer endeavors, see if you can locate all the references to Firefly in the show, we can hope to get similar references to Drive in his future series. Mm. (laughs) Good luck with that. Who's looking for Firefly references in Drive? What are you doing? I really hope yeah, it's something like me. in Gil's in Gil's like uh, gym, there is like a thing that says Mal Re- like Reynolds or something. That's all it really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, this episode does exist. We watched it. It's real. Um, <laughs> they didn't make it and up. It's my friend. It's my only true friend. What was the other thing you wanted to talk about before we get all the way into things? Just like, just like the lore <laughs> that they gave us sorry my cat's trying to bite me i like Ow. to think that you left i thought you were Ow. like oh oh i was trying to get her to not bite my feet and then she fully like jumps and attacks my whole elbow oof yeah bad kitty. bye bye now canceled what are, why are you slapping me <laughs> <laughs> this is not a healthy relationship here i think yeah, I, don't, I think she's trying to play, but this is serious right now. We're talking about the last episode of Drive. We're talking about Rearview. Okay, good. The sitting there is good. Great. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the lore that we yeah. get in this one. So they start to answer some of the questions, maybe, raise some new questions. And I think people want to know that information, probably. probably. So we uh, we start to crack into the the flash drive. Sean is hacking it, and uh, when he's hacking it, he learns that every racer has a a little piece of information associated with them, along with all the other info about who they are, which is everybody has a sponsor. Huh. Kind of like NASCAR, his brother says. (laughs) So that's something. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this whole sponsor thing, huh? Um, I think it... A little, I think it allows them at least to have a somewhat realistic explanation for like why are they doing this, um, and it it gives them like an on road, not to use a drive term, out of turn, out of t- left turn, emergency brake. What? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it gives them something that they can like flesh out for each character now is like oh who sponsored you why did they sponsor you and we only really get Winston's in this episode but it suggests that like some of those side characters and people's backgrounds and backstories actually matter in a way beyond just like weird rich guy that we forgot about and i thought that right, was kind of cool we basically learned that winston's sponsor is his dad through whatever shell corporation uh was it his dad or was it the guy that sean was talking to i couldn't i didn't understand i think it's his from dad. what from what they were saying sean and winston agreed that like it wouldn't have their dad's company's signature on it if their dad wasn't behind it that's what they seem to think oh they, they could be wrong but that's what they seem to think. It's that guy's name on it, but it's their dad because he. Well, it was initials. The, the what they found was initials for like some company that their dad owns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we get the implication that he's been he's trying to get Winston on the road. Yeah, and that he's sponsoring his race. I, I'm my guess about where this was gonna go. I haven't read the Tim Minear interview in its entirety. Yeah. It feels like this is the sort of thing where it's like, I'm going to sponsor someone I think could win. And all of these sponsors are like, the race is really just like a gambling thing for them where they're gambling on like, can my race or win or something? And so I'm going to like pick somebody who I think has the right kind of desperation or like need for speed, uh, the right kind of fast... Furious. (laughs) Furious. <laughs> the right grant. You know what yeah? I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. <sighs> yeah, that that feels like what's going on here. And so maybe his dad is like, yeah, my my son Winston, you know, always does stuff for me that I hire him to do. I bet he could win this. And that that explains why people from the organization are like always trying to reawaken Tully and his driving skills because presumably somebody wants him to win yeah whoever's sponsoring him wants him to win and they have a stake in that um so that's that is like enough of an explanation for me of why this is structured like a game show why things are obscured from the contestants and i just wish that that answer i don't even know if that's right because the show doesn't fully say that but you could just say that earlier yeah yeah i don't know Anyways. Well, like, think about how much narrative potential there is in each of these characters having a sponsor uh, who wants them to be in this race, either because they want them to die in a way that cut, wipes their hands clean, or they want mm-hmm. to win a lot of money. Because it's like, think about, I don't know, Rob is being sponsored by somebody in the U.S. military, or by even wilder, more no- closer to what this show would be, by, like, somebody from al-qaeda who's <laughs> like hmm. well i want this guy who's like an evil commanding officer to die so that i can you know get my revenge like something stupid like that like there's hmm. something there though or like tully like the what's the guy terry gross terry <laughs> uh, t- uh the guy who um gill talks about like oh you, you screwed him over maybe oh, that guy is his yeah. sponsor he's doing it to get back at at tully or something Mm-hmm. or maybe uh wendy's sponsor is richard and he's like right. oh i actually, i wanted you to to be out of my life so that i could do xyz you know yeah. lots of potential lots of, lots of stuff there yeah it it opens a lot of yeah potential i'm just gonna repeat what you just said <laughs> sorry good no it's okay <laughs> it's potential um 
it it definitely has me much more excited in the like core plot of drive than I ever was at any point prior to this. Uh, and it's over. It's done. And it's gone. The show is complete. So that's like one big piece of lore. And, uh, then the other, the other thing, basically how we arrive at the other thing that I think is of note lore wise is, so as we're saying the framing device, Corinna is given over to the race people. She's being interrogated about the flash drive. And so we keep cutting back to like, well, what was going on with the flash drive? What did we find on it? What happened to it? How did we get to this point? She then gets interrogated by the guy who was in the show earlier, who we're going to have to call something. Guy got beat up a bunch. His name's Alan. Alan. (laughs) Remember we did this whole bit? (laughs) Who does he look like? He looks Uh, like some other guy who looks like that. Nestor Carbonell. You don't know who Nestor Carbonell is. You didn't watch Lost. No, I don't know who Nestor Carbonell is. That's who I thought he looked like. No, it's okay. Look up Nestor Carbonell. My favorite thing to order at a fancy Italian restaurant, though. The Nestor Carbonell. Nestor Carbonara, more like it. Look up Nestor Carbonell. Tell me that he doesn't look like that guy. Okay. All right, here we go. Nestor Carbonell. Oh, yeah, this, this, this is the guy I was thinking of. Oh, that was easy. I just never even knew he had a name. Mm-hmm. My dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks exactly like this guy. Mm-hmm. So that's Alan. That's is the guy he this that... guy? No, he's not. No, no, no. It's not this actor. I checked. Nestor. Yeah, it's not Carbonell. Nestor. <laughs> Favorite thing: Italian restaurant. He's <laughs> 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 just running out of jokes. <laughs> let me let me snap us back into it real quick. Did you mm-hmm. notice the detail? that they see a poster that's like Catherine Tully and you're like, Oh my God, Catherine's in this show. And it says Catherine Tully, 29 years old. Isn't that weird that Tully's wife is 29. How old is Tully Tully? supposed to be? Exactly. It's weird. That's weird. I don't care how old he is. Why is that? Wait, why is that weird? Cause I'm too young to get married and I'm not that far from 29. (laughs) One of my coworkers is 27 and she just got married and I had the same feeling of yeah, that's huh? not allowed. Wait, <laughs> aren't we all like? Don't we also feel like we're ten? Yeah, <laughs> we no, act like guess, it for sure. Guess we're just we're just uh, you know children in adult bodies. Correct. You and I. Mm. But um, yeah, so Nestor Carbonell, but not Notster Carbonell, Notster Carbonat, <laughs> Nestor Carbonat. Nestor Carbonat. <laughs> That's good. Nestor Carbonat. Nah, this guy's his own guy. Uh, uh, Alan is a character's name. We'll use that. Alan is interrogating Karina. And the thing that we learn is that he works for the race, but he's doing some kind of double play stuff. He was the one who stole the flash drive and then Karina stole it from him. And okay, what's up with this guy? Suddenly he's a character. Karina says, okay, beat me up, make it look real. And he's like, with pleasure. Which yeah. is yep. Yeah. And then he beats her up. And then we get <laughs> the other piece of lore that I was found interesting, which is uh we see Ellie and Rob again. What's up, squad? Good to see ya. Rob uh, you know, is turning himself into the army. Sorry, I, so I am sad about uh, it. Just to pivot real sorry real quick. Uh, IMDb yeah. says his name is Bill. 
Not Alan. I thought this was the same guy who got beat up later in the present. They look very similar, but apparently this yeah, guy. Yeah, is this the Bill. guy from several episodes ago? From like episode one. Yeah, I thought it was the same guy. I'll keep looking into this, but according to episode six's IMDb page, this guy's name is Bill. Please Brian continue. Bloom is this guy's yeah. name. Brian Bloom. Is there anyone named Alan in the first episode? I think he maybe gave the fake name. Yeah, he gave the fake name Alan James, but they realized it was a fake name. That's what it is. We are oh, now okay. learning that his name is, is I already forgot it, Bill. Bill. Okay. Bill. Let's call him, Bill. Let's call Bill. him Brian Bill. Bloom. Okay. Yeah, sure. Brian Bloom. Brian Bloom. Wow, this guy has been in everything for one time. Oh, uh, wait. Silver Surfer, Oh, okay, 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 okay. Sorry, as a voice actor. I was like, this guy's the Silver Surfer? No, as a voice actor. Anyway, um, great. So, yeah, we see Rob and Ellie again. Rob's turning himself into the military. Ellie's so sad about it. Then she gets on the phone, and she is talking to somebody, and she says, it's me. Everything's bad. <laughs> okay. Cool. And then we learn later in the episode that she's talking to Brian Bloom. Yeah, it's wild. And she's like with this guy and they're mm -hmm. in cahoots. Mm -hmm. And he was helping her to try to win the race so that they could get the money together or something. And she doesn't even like her soldier husband guy. What do you think? Ellie's a tactical Ellie's a tactical mastermind. I've been saying it. I think I might have hinted that I I hope she turns out to be like that this or you might have said it in a previous podcast episode, but I'm glad this worked out for her. I'm happy for her. Get it's you yours. more interesting. It's what's funny is when she like says goodbye to him, like, baby, no, don't. I don't know why I'm allowed to walk right up to a military base and they open the gate and don't let me in. That's really weird. But they close the gate. She turns around and I go, she's going to like do the villain thing where her like smile curls up and she's like, hey, <laughs> And she basically does, right? She mm -hmm. calls someone and goes, like, he, it's working. He's in there now. And it's like, <laughs> you guys are just doing it. So right mm -hmm. now it seems really generic, but I think that there would have been a lot of potential with, like, what was Ellie going to do next now that she's right. not with her really, really generic husband. Mm -hmm. Like, take him fully out of the show, and then she drives around. She does cool stuff with Brian Bloom, and then he comes back because he finds out and now he has like vengeful wrath against his wife. And it's really yeah. misogynist. <laughs> Whenever I try to imagine the future of Drive, I have to remind myself that this would be the future of a show that existed in 2007. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Where the misogyny is definitely baked into it. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty misogynist like plot development too, right? Mm. On some level. Her betraying her husband, you mean? Yeah, just like it keeps turning out that Ellie is like a bad person in many new and different ways. Um, I don't know if making her a bad person is inherently misogynist. I think it leans into misogynist tropes, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I think it's the combination of it's the double cross and also help me evil boyfriend. Like yeah. that Both of those things together. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Ellie. Ellie's the Joker. Sorry, I keep calling people the Joker. I need, I need better like names for things. Ellie's a a, a diabolical mastermind. Uh, Corinna is is doing some sketchy stuff, and they do a double cross play where they let her get captured. And the we learn also that her narration in this episode 
is being and I'm we're gonna go back obviously we have a lot of scenes where we're, we're jumping over her but her narration through this episode is like you know Tali really fucked me over but he did it for good reasons and at the end she says he did it for good reasons like he wanted to save you and she's in the back of a truck with Amy Acker with Tali's wife she's been telling the whole thing to Tali's wife who's a real I, person I, I like gasped when I saw Amy me Acker. too was I was like what <laughs> What a bummer. I would have loved yeah. to watch the show where Amy Acker is real. And then she's really cool and they do like an escape out of the back of the truck and uh yeah, that's a lot of potential in the toilet, in the toilet. Yeah. Uh, you know what else had potential? What? Um the brief moment where Violet and Ivy teamed up and were friends. Um although god it's so weird because Ivy is like <clears throat> she knows that Violet's talking about like oh my dad uh you know left and and i'm like really sad about it and all that stuff but john just sent me a picture who is this man is this it's amy Acker's husband Bloom. whoa that's In a like young the 80s lots of chest hair lots chest, of chest hair, hair gold chain tanned pop young brian collar, bloom You'll probably open find this. shirt and jacket quaffed hair it's gorgeous he's got a look he's got beautiful blue eyes gorgeous um Ivy only knows how to give other women advice when it's about men, like like boyfriends. So she kind of talks to Violet about her dad as if she's like <laughs> talking about her boyfriend. boyfriend. Yeah, she's yeah. like, I, you know, men like are bad for this and that reason, and it's like that's her dad, that's her dad. This <laughs> is mm-hmm. weird, mm-hmm. but it's like a com- comedic thing. I think Taryn Manning like does good work with this stuff, and yeah, her and Violet is another yet another fun combination coming together at a gas station. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? I took a lot. I had a lot of like random quotes. Uh, oh, no. These are your quotes. I'm looking at your notes. What's the pullover I think he wants me to pull over line from? What's the context there? Uh, that I don't even know why I wrote that line down. It, one of the things that happens that ends up being really funny, you know, I don't I don't think they intended yeah. is there's a guy who's like driving alongside Tully and Karina trying to get them to pull over. Oh, and yeah. Tully does car stunts to get him to like total his car. And then Tully goes over to like, yell at the guy, and the guy's like, uh, dude, can you get me out of my car? I'm dying. <laughs> and Tully's like, nah, screw you. And the, why'd you want the, the flash drive? And the guy's like, seriously, man, I'm, get me out I'm of the bad. car. <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's funnier than it's supposed to be because it's like you got the information from him. There, there isn't really a downside to you letting him out after a certain point. Like, just yeah. why you got to be a dick? It's totally just a yeah. mean guy. Yeah. The other line that's funny that happens around this point is Tully says, uh, two words I never want to hear in another sentence are flash and drive. Which is kind Which of sad because drive is over. A gone in a flash. Oh, that's that's good. That's clever. Thank you. It's starting oh. to become a running joke that you're surprised that I'm clever. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Oh, I'm what? Sorry read- I'm sorry it reads that way. I don't think that it's that, but I'm telling you it reads that way. Yeah, it's it's not me. I'm just uh. you know I'm acknowledging the third party here, the third wall. Okay. My intent John- is I. Yeah. I'm I'm blushing I, right now. I I'm blushing. My intent is I didn't expect to be so pleased in li- this life. 
by something. Oh my god, thank you. You you did it. You pivoted. Like it. you've given me a gift that I didn't think I would ever get. It's such a beautiful moment of cleverness. But I I sincerely apologize that it comes across as me being surprised that you're clever. Uh, you're very clever. I'm not surprised by that at all. I know that I know this about myself and I know this about you that you're a very sensitive and kind person. Wow, thank you. Who cares about people's feelings? Thank you. Welcome to Chats Television Podcast, where we slowly fall in love with each other. Uh, just kidding. It happened in Wait, episode Alan, one. Alan, I want to I want to be a winner again. Now you have to ask me, when did you ever win anything? John, when did you ever win anything? The day that we started this podcast. Oof! Can you, do you have the Roblox oof uh, available by any chance? Yeah, you're going to have to give me like 30 seconds to find it. <laughs> oof! Thank you. Whoa, that was not 30 seconds. That was impressive. Thank you. Ooh. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> I love I love this. <laughs> so Machan's referring to a scene. Wait, no, keep, sorry, keep pitching me things that you don't want the oof to be a response to. Just yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I have a lot of work that I need you to get done tonight. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> And of course, Majan, you are going to have to host the next episode, if you don't mind, please. Thanks. Oh my God! <laughs> that was so loud. Good luck editing that. That's what the yeah, compressor the is for. Yeah, the scene, the scene, the scene. Yeah, the scene. What you referring to? At first, John says to a random woman, "Are you sure my hot candies don't mean anything to you?" Which is so <laughs> funny. Dylan Baker fully understood the assignment here. Um. She's weirded out by it. And then he sits down with Violet at the bar of the diner and they have a heart to heart family moment where he says that the, really good. he, the reason he, so he, he got the call to join the race as he was picking her up from school. His marriage is strained and his health is not doing well. He has six months to a year to live. So this is like fully explaining John and, and Violet's like situation. And no. she's like, well, why did you go on the race? Like, why why bring me? And he's like, because I care about you and I wanted to do this thing with you. And if I died, I would rather at least do it with you. And I want to win something. I haven't felt – I'm finally feeling like a winner and like somebody who's successful and happy. And, yeah. she, and he's like, you know, the only other time that I felt that is the day you were born. And she cries because that's a really nice thing for your parent to say to you. It's so good. Their relationship is so good. Come on. This I think rocks. it's a little corny. It's a little corny. Yeah. Yeah, it's super corny. It's great. It's Fox Drive. It's Twitter.com slash Fox Drive. When, when he says the day you were born and Emma Stone plays it like. Uh, uh, I think like if I was she, 17 she and heard that. For the, in, a, in a great way. I think if I was 17 and heard it for the first time, I would have been like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I love this. But now I'm like, yeah. I got The thing is about being Alan, who is someone who is sensitive to parents, stuff like this, mm -hmm, is you got to do it right. You got to do it right for it to work for me. And it just bordered on the goofy here. But this is not like two great actors performing. So it, I'll give, I'll give it the point. But if Dylan Baker was your dad and you said, Dad, when did you ever win anything? And he said, the day you were born. Tears. You immediate cry. tears. You would cry. Yeah. You yeah, would yeah, cry yeah, yeah. like a baby. <laughs> cry cry like a little baby <laughs> um, Lynch. I, I thought it was kind of funny it almost took me out of that great moment that the lines prior he says I want to I do some things before I die 
and then all the things he names are like things from the race. He's like, yeah, I want to do some things before I die, like drive a car, and get to a checkpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and overtake and use nitrous and <laughs> eat a hot candy. <laughs> Go to Appomattox. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta check that one off the list. <laughs> oh lordy. Um I'm crying. Uh they find out by the way that the flash drive, just just to say it, it has all of it's like stats. It's got crucial info. Yeah. And uh, got people sponsors on it. Winston. And then it gets act- destroyed. And then it gets they they, they, run, they throw it into the street and it immediately gets run over. Like perfectly timed car goes my time and runs it over. Yeah. Uh, Winston actually says the out loud real line knowledge equals power, which is so dumb for a character to say that like about the USB, the flash drive. He's like, you know, knowledge equals yeah. power, bro. He also says the real line, decrypt that bitch, Vominos. <laughs> well, well. Awful. Awful. Yeah, I know I said earlier they kind of figured out how to write Winston. I'm not going to say 100% yeah, on that. I think they forgot. I think they forgot. Yeah, sometimes they forget. Okay. The only other plot we haven't talked about is the Wendy plot here. Yeah. yeah. So Wendy goes back to, is she from Ohio? Is that what the deal is? I believe so. She goes back to Ohio to get Sammy because there's a worry that he was in danger. A guy shows up. Oh, God, is this her husband? Is this Richard? Commercial break. Hey, what's up? It's my brother. Okay, she's got a nice brother. They have a conversation. They haven't seen each other in years. He's here because Richard's got people looking for her who reached out to the brother. Okay. He's worried about his sister. We get this really kind of ham fisted. Don't deflect. Don't be like mom. This is the same, you know, safe house that mom took us to when we were kids. And now you're in a relationship just like mom was in it. I don't know. Like it feels like somebody made a list of this sorts of plot beats or concerns that would happen in a story like this and then just kind of said them yeah yeah and it's like uh, a wikipedia summary of an abuse plot line unfortunately yeah i don't know it was i mean i'm it's like a similar sentiment i had in some twin peaks episodes where it's like i'm glad you are seeing this as a thing that you should talk about right and yeah. like figure out how to portray. And there's some complexity to that moment where Richard shows up and Wendy's like defending him. And then she sort of looks at her brother and is like, is trying to communicate to him like, Hey, I, I got this. I have a plan. There's something there, but it's not handled with very much nuance or it feels like perspective on like what this is like. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The thing that makes me hopeful is that they were able to do the like Tully Karina double cross pretty well where like mm-hmm. if for example, that ended at the beginning of this episode, we saw the scene where he gets, where she gets taken and you're like, Oh my God, I guess Tully sucks. We would say, wow, this doesn't really make sense. I don't understand why the characters did this, but they're playing roles. And mm-hmm. I think that they could have done a broader thing about like 
Wendy knows the role that she plays in Richard's life and is like allowing this to happen because it's probably happened before. And mm -hmm. by the way, this is in Walton, Ohio. I just I just watched the scene back. Um, so uh -huh. they're in they're in they, they do, are from Ohio. But what really, really bothered me about this whole thing is the whole like the camera lingering on her brother to be like, it's that's Richard. Oh, my God. And we're like meant to hate Richard. And mm -hmm. uh, they don't even cut to commercials before. She's like, no, that's Uncle Lewis. And he's just this like random guy. Like, yeah, the identity of Richard is played as this big twist. And then not two minutes later, the real Richard comes by. And it's like, why did you do the thing with Lewis? Like, Lewis didn't have to be in this scene. Yeah. You just completely didn't need to do this other than to have somebody else be in the scene to be like, yeah, Wendy, Richard's clearly lying right now. And that's BS mm -hmm. that he's lying to you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she just gets taken away. Uh, and he says, I'll drive myself home and, or drive us home without the police. Wouldn't the police like have some way of, I'm not trying to say like the police are super smart, but like, shouldn't they have some way of knowing that scenarios like this happen where like spouses lie about their partner leaving for reasons? Yeah, I mean, it seems like everybody in the scene, the the thing that's like chilling in a way that feels pretty real is everybody in the scene seems like they know what's going on. Yeah. Nobody acts on that knowledge. The brother, the woman running the safe house, the cops clearly see that something's off with this and nobody does anything. Mm -hmm. uh, that feels like it would really happen in that way. The thing that doesn't feel like it would really happen is like Richard seeming like he's Giovanni from Pokemon or something. <laughs> he's just like a bad man. Dr. Claw. <laughs> yeah, he just seems like he's evil, and I feel like that trivializes this to a certain extent. I don't mm -hmm. know. No, I think so. I think that they, there was something there, and then they, they just whiffed it really bad. And I don't want to give Drive enough benefit of the doubt. Like, I know... I don't think that the creators would have gotten that exactly right. But who can say? Who can say in the grand scheme mm -hmm. of things? Because the show is canceled as hell. Yeah. Uh, Should we talk about what would have happened if it wasn't canceled as hell? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I was just going to briefly reference this other other couple lines I liked from this episode. Sure. Um, and then I want to yeah loop back on the Tim Minear interview. So again, ends with, with Catherine, Tully, meeting and Karina, and they're in the truck, and you're like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" Um, I love Ivy's line. She says, "I saw you with the geeky guy." This is hard to Violet regarding John, her dad. I saw you with the geek guy, the guy with the short sleeves that always looks worried, and I don't, <laughs> I don't need to be called out like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when they all, when they all run into each other, um. He's like chasing Violet out of the gas station, and uh, and uh, Ivy's like, "Did you steal something or whatever?" And he's like, "I'm her dad," and she's like, "Oh yeah, nervous guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was funny. Terman doing good work, and then when she steps in front of the car, she says, and I quote, "Whoa there, mama!" <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> to be like, "Don't drive the car, Violet." You should go with your dad. Uh, and also she says, I get the feeling that you kind of like him a lot as if like, like again, thinking that she's talking about a boyfriend and it's just very strange. Very mm. strange. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the only big, big ones. Uh, they play some good music as everybody arrives in the next city in Cleveland. 
Uh, if it wasn't clear enough that this whole show was filmed in Santa Clarita, the way that they show Cleveland is blue lights. <laughs> Just Santa Clarita, but with blue lights. Um, uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. I, It's a bummer. You, I really, really wish if they did the show that they could film in different cities. But I know how expensive that can get. Uh, yeah. So anyways, Tim Minear, uh was interviewed back in the day. Uh, this is an article on TVSeriesFinale.com. Um, I'm trying to figure out. This is from <laughs> DriveFans.com is the website that originally published and, ha- and conducted this interview. DriveFans.com no longer exists as a website, in case you were curious. Um, so they interviewed Tim Minear and Craig Silverstein, and they gave some clues on what might have been because only six episodes came out. Says Minear, quote, I was so busy trying to address network notes and production concerns that it was hard to get too far ahead. So, one of the major plot points was going to be that each participant had to have a sponsor. In some cases, the team was aware of the sponsorship, and some they were not. Some of the sponsors would have nefarious slash revenge motives for some of the players, and others would have more great expectations-esque benevolent motives. (laughs) Ivy, Lee, Susan, and many of the background teams were included by the race company to make the race more interesting. Which, huh. So, like, Mm -hmm. the side characters are plants, I guess? Yeah, it seems like... Yeah, like they're just meant to sort of fill it out, fill out the roster, and there's no sponsor that like wants them to win. I Which guess. is fascinating because he says also, imagine the fury when Lee finds out because he's comparing it to being a non-player bot in a multiplayer video game. Mm-hmm. Like if you were told like, hey, you're not, you were never meant to win this. You were like a background character. Kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that's interesting given how she's being driven by Susan saying like you're going to win. Um, and so then he breaks down all the different characters uh, regard- regarding regarding Alex and Karina. <laughs> Alex was a former robbery getaway driver. We knew that. It would have been likely revealed that his kidnapped wife was part of the plan to force Alex into the race through their courtship and marriage, implying that like they were Whoa. brought together for this. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. Like their whole relationship was a long con to get him in the race? I think so. That's all I have here. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> Seems pretty contrived. Yeah. I don't know. A lot okay. of this will definitely feel like that. Um, new partner, Wendy, new mother, Wendy Petrakis, and her partner, Ivy. Uh, Wendy's sponsors would have been revealed to be an older couple who discovered that the infant child they adopted years earlier was actually Wendy's first child, whom she was told had died. So the daughter isn't dead. Oh. They, she was adopted, and they didn't tell Wendy. Oh. Uh, wild. Wendy would have eventually escaped from Ivy. That's not the optics of what happened there, guys, who does not know how to drive. And Wendy would have returned to Ohio to rescue her baby. We know this. That happened because of something Ivy inadvertently does. Yeah, this all happened. Wendy's grabbed uh-huh. by Richard. Uh, Ivy's always been very self-centered, but goes to... Oh, here's what would have happened next. Ivy, who's always usually been self-centered, goes to Ohio and successfully rescues Wendy and Sam. The two That's women, fun. the two women and Sam the baby would continue in the race together, uh, and then Ivy would have bonded with Sam and ended up sacrificing her life to save him. No, stop killing people in stupid tribe. By the finish of the race, Wendy would have been reunited, reunited with her first child. That's interesting. The thing about the first child being adopted and uh, taken away—that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, it's really weird. Um, that's the Wendy update. We have stepbrothers Winston and Sean Salazar. In episode six, it's revealed that the mutual father, their mutual father, Fernando, is Winston's sponsor. So, Manjon, oh. you were right about that. 
Um, but oh, this is where I was confused. We would have learned later that Fernando's trusted advisor, Esteban Mas Ferrer, was the real sponsor. Uh, it was his plan to. So it's not that their dad was lying about who it was. It was that it's not their dad. Yeah. It was his plan to use the race to take out Fernando and his sons and take over the family business. That's very mm -hmm. generic. <laughs> That's so generic. Um, here's okay, a cool can one. Can I read this next one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is big. This is our boys. Oh, okay. So John Trimble and his daughter Violet. Uh, it would have been revealed that John was his own sponsor in the race. What? Whoa. Mynir adds, we would have learned that John Trimble was, Trimble's not really sick. The meds were making him sick. Part of the game of the race. His believing he was a doomed man changed him and made him capable of things he normally would not be capable of. Once he realized that he was not going to die, he'd be instantly hit by a bus. Because funny. Ah, uh, not funny, Tim. actually. Tim. Tim! Not funny. Don't do my boy Dylan Baker like that. He got to get off safely in the show. If Wait, it continued, so, they would have jokingly killed him. So he's his own sponsor, but there's somebody giving him the meds to make him sick so that he'll sponsor himself in the race. And so that he'll stay in the race. But he's his own sponsor. He wants to be in the race. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, Susan and Lee. In one of the script drafts, Susan's truck driving killer was set up to be a faceless serial killer, not unlike the truck driver in the film Duel. In another version, the sociopathic killer would have been played by sexy act. That's what this says. Sexy actress Eliza Dushku. But you can just say professional Eliza Dushku. Yeah. Great actor. A act actress Eliza Dushku. We do not need to say sexy actress. Eliza. Fuck that. A veteran of Angel, yeah, we know, uh, which was produced by, executive produced by Minear for a time. Most likely that the killer in the truck would have been revealed to be a former contestant who had become partially paralyzed in the race and was seeking revenge. Survivor Lee would have gotten together with Rob at some point in the story. What? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. 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 <laughs> that's awesome. And then they get revenge on Ellie. That's I guess that's kind of fun. I mean, it's a little boring because they're both like attractive. <laughs> it's like okay, but every, everyone's well, attractive on this show. Yeah, it's a it's a cable show. Yeah, um, I th I thought that the driving people off the road guy was part of the was part of yeah, it. and the driving people off the road guy part, part. of it. exactly. I hoped, but no, that's just weird. a just a dick, just a shitty man. Okay. Uh, Army soldier Rob Laird and his wife Ellie. It would continue to be revealed that Ellie was not very innocent and was actually quite conniving. She was having an affair with the racist blue-eyed ground monitor Bill, the real name of Alan James, played by Brian Bloom. Uh, a while Rob would have turned himself in for a court martial, but Bill would have forced Ellie to break him out of the brig because Rob has a special skill that would have helped them win the race. I guess that skill is having friends. Like. <laughs> or like knows also, how to use a gun. Right. Mynir also wanted to do a storyline in which Rob would be sent to Iraq with his troops and would end up uncovering a race clue in the middle of the desert. Yeah. He would then be sent back into the race by a high-ranking military official. 
and would re- return to the States Robert. and a partner with Lee, both in the race and romantically. Oof, uh, I'm glad that didn't go anywhere. God, I do so like funny. the idea. I love, I, this is the picture in my head, season two, episode one, we're in the Iraq desert, and you're like, what? What's going on? Well, this is not Drive. And mm. like some random guy's like, Commander, come over here. And we see like a haggard, bearded Rob. And we're like, what? And he picks it up, and it's like a, it's like a, a Mercedes symbol. And he's like, I know where we, I know where we have to go. Yeah. And then that's the, right. that's the cold open. You should read the, the rest of it. Um, other episode ideas that weren't explored included the racers driving through a vicious storm. Can you imagine uh, Ivy making like Katrina references yeah, while us, they're in a storm? Give us like a twister episode. That's fun. I'm into that. As well as the aftermath of a 30 car pileup. I love that. Like, how do we get around traffic, basically, or like an incident? Um, had Drive continued to a second season, the duo said that there would have been a new race with new players, and some of the first season people would take on new roles in the competition. Uh, okay, I see. So they wouldn't all continue. Um, of course, the big question that fans have is who would have won the race? Um, are you ready for the big reveal, folks? Yeah. Because because the story was not fully developed, or because he didn't want to tell us, Mynir would only say, "Somebody will let you know if we find out more." They didn't have an answer. They didn't know who was going to win the race. They never knew. Who did? Who? Like. I, it's got to be the motorcycle couple. I refu- it's got to be the motorcycle couple. <laughs> it's got to be Rob and Lee. I mean, they both have this really tough thing happen to them, and they are like in love now or something and Mm -hmm. susan said you're gonna win like that makes enough sense to me i think it'd be really boring if it was tully like use his storyline as the opportunity to do like heist stuff and action movie stuff and like driving action stuff and Mm -hmm. then actually in the background you have robin lee like sweeping the race because they've both been like spurned by mean people there you go Mm -hmm. that's drive so here's a question for you Mm-hmm. At the end, at the end of this long and winding. At the road end of the road, yeah, you got it, you got it, you got it. Having read that and rewatched Drive, do you do you wish that there was more of it? I think if they came out tomorrow and they said we're putting out a continuation of Drive or rebooting Drive, mm-hmm. I would be so here for it. I think that the show had a lot of potential directly on a streaming platform, whether it's yeah. par- like. Yeah. I don't know what Fox stuff is on these days. It's not on Hulu mostly. Um, if you were just like, it's a Hulu limited series, make it eight. We know it's eight episodes and mm-hmm. we're telling a story about like a, a, a squid games esque story about like people who have to do like do horrible things that they didn't think they were capable of to survive in a tough yeah. world. Simple, yeah. elegant, get some cars in there, film it in like around the country as best as you can, or actually make the sets look like they are different parts of the country um Mm -hmm. film in real cars like focus on the feeling of being in cars not people sitting in green screens talking about their family problems dude that's all you have to do and then you have a good show i'm not even saying i want like i said that this didn't need a six season thing or like slowinski suggested in week one make a movie make a cool movie about this Mm -hmm. make death make death race but like more realistic i don't know easy Yeah. yeah would you want would you be excited I guess because of this podcast, we both would naturally be like, hell yeah, Drive is back. This is the kind of show that it feels a lot to me like Studio 60 or something like that, where I there being enough of it that it like finishes a season 
is meaningful to me. Like, I'm very happy that Studio 60 has a complete first season. Yeah. Because it's like, it does stuff and it finishes. Um, it's, I'm not going to say it's a good show. I enjoy watching it. It's very stupid. Um, and it's fun. And Drive feels similar to me where it'd be nice if it ended because there's just, uh, I don't know. I like never stop. I never turn movies off, you know? Yeah. Even if I like don't love a movie, I'll watch it to the end just because I want to like close it out in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so even something as silly as this, I enjoyed it enough that I'm invested in there being an ending so that I can sort of say like, okay, drive's done. Yeah. Even if it was a magnificent failure, I would have been like, at least I got to finish. Like yeah. if you're not going to reboot it, then let's just film some short episodes that are the ending. Yeah. Like I, I understand why people got like mad about the Farscape ending and why they wanted Peacekeeper Wars is because they were like, just give me this ending, you mm-hmm. know? Although that's a different case where it had an ending kind of sort of. Yeah. The Farscape so, ending was good. <laughs> oh God. We're starting fights again. Am I wrong? No, I agree with you. I just think that the internet hates uh, us for that. Oh, okay. I don't care. Okay. Bring it on. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that like this should have just been eight episodes. Don't write this as if you're gonna get twenty-four or whatever. No. Um yeah. Well so well that's, uh that's drive. That's drive. We'll keep checking in on shows and seeing if they if in the cancel in the canceled time that they got, uh if they felt complete or not. So I would say right now on the air has a surprisingly coherent ending and I don't need more of it. And uh, drive does not have an ending and there could be more of it, but I won't be depressed if there is not more of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there are better shows out there, but if they wanted to finish this, I would be here for it. Yeah. All right. Well, do you want to know what uh, we're watching next on our 13th season? I really do. I really do. What's our new season? So you've had drive on the brain for years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. I have had uh, this show on my brain. It's a 2008 TV series that had eight episodes. So uh, who knows? Maybe it'll get to a, a finale of some kind. We'll find out. It's called New Amsterdam. Nope, not that one. No. Not the 2018 medical series that actually has seasons. The 2008 Fox, hey Fox, 2008 Fox Network drama about a guy named John Amsterdam who is immortal, lives in New York City, solves crimes and stuff. Uh, If, hey, that sounds a lot like the show Forever, it does sound like that, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like that? Forever was canceled too, but it got 22 episodes too long for this season that we're doing. So uh, we're doing New Amsterdam 2008. I've been thinking about it constantly for years. And finally, I get to stop thinking about it by talking about it. (laughs) I don't know how you can watch it. (laughs) I don't have an answer for you. I hope you can figure it out. If you thought that these are all plagued by the worst SEO ever, right? All three of them on the air. Impossible to Google. Drive Impossible. harder to Google. New Amsterdam. No, not that one. No, seriously, the other one. 
the one that doesn't exist, yeah, that one is just not a good yeah. Google path. Yeah. Any title that has a disambiguation page is going <laughs> to have a hard time. New Amsterdam disambiguation. Wow, there's a lot of things called New Amsterdam. There's an episode of Mad Men. Not that. We might watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and you anyway. can't even look up like immortal homicide detective or whatever because then you're just going to get forever. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's great. It's great stuff. Yeah. Um, do your best to find it, folks. We're watching the first two episodes next week. Uh, can I give the people the little summaries here? Yeah, please do. First episode is called Pilot. The series premiere introduces a brilliant New York homicide detective with a profound secret. He is immortal. In response to a heroic action, John Amsterdam will not age a day until he finds the one. He's had many lives as he roamed the city of New York for the past 400 years, searching for his one true love. Uh, and then we talk about his new partner, Eva Marquez, and some other stuff that I'm not going to read because it sounds like spoilery. And then episode two is called Golden Boy. Amsterdam and Eva investigate the suspicious death of a student at a prestigious New York City private school, which leads to the revelation of a twisted affair. One of Amsterdam's biggest secrets is revealed. Dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Spooky. The Halcyon Days of 2008, when you could just put out an eight-episode series about an immortal man. Predictions, Majon, are that we get a scene that starts... I think we always oh, start the show with an eye open. Like in, in Lost, where we like zoom in on his eye and it opens. <laughs> okay. I think we get a really vivid scene in the first 15 minutes of the first episode where he dies and comes back. Like, let's just say, yeah. like, really shooting my shot here. Chases a guy down, like, of an alleyway, dies, eats shit, and then goes, <gasps> and then he's awake again. Easy. Are you literally watching the first episode right now as you're saying that, or that's your guess? That's my guess. I will give you $5 if you're correct. Good. All right. Cool. All right. Love that. <laughs> Great. So come back next week for a new Chatster Dam, which I think is what we're leaning on for that one. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Guys, new Amster Chats? No. New Chats, Chats Amsterdam? No, 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 no. no. You have to no. emphasize. New Chatster Dam. Uh, Magellan, where can people hear you on the internet? You can also hear me on a podcast called Super Smash Echoes. It's a video game podcast that comes out every month where myself and my friend Justin, we play video games that are either the uh, homes of characters in the Super Smash Brothers franchise uh, that whose influence echo throughout our you know pop culture zeitgeist, or we play games that are themselves the echoes of mm. those things. Uh, so it's kind of an exploration of games and the cultural space they occupy uh, and the way that we nice. talk about them and think about them. Uh, and uh, you should check it out. Super Smash Echoes. Alan, what about you? Super Smash Echoes is my favorite Smash Brothers podcast, this side of the subspace emissary. There are I a lot am of great ones on the other side of the subspace emissary. Yeah, so but we don't care about that. We side. Don't care about it. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm also on the Hunter's Quorum, which is a podcast on scanlinemedia.com uh, where my friend Six and I talk about monsters from the Monster Hunter franchise. And we also talk about Pokemon when that show was called the Jota Quorum a little while back. Uh, it's still technically both whenever they release new Pokemon, which they just did with Pokemon Legends Arceus earlier this year. And our most recent episode recently came out. Um, our most recent episode recently came out recently. Um, it's about the Pokemon 
of Legends Arceus, and we brought on a guest from Abnormal Mapping to talk about the weird variants that they introduced in that game. And nice. if any of that sounds appealing to you, then please check out the Hunter's Quorum on your podcast platform of choice. Um, it's time for the plug zone, which I'm going to handle this week because I'm feeling kind of nasty. Go for it. If you would like to send us questions, comments, voicemails like the one you heard in the halfway point of this podcast, chatspot at gmail.com is where you can send those to. C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D is how you spell chatspod. We're also on Twitter at chatspod where you can find updates about the podcast and get at us in our DMs or our ats, whatever. Uh, we have a subreddit run by the community. It's r slash chatspod. Um, over there, friend of the podcast, Nick, who you heard from earlier, is uh, reopening the the Throw Chats Thursdays. I always forget how to say it. Uh, Throw Chats Thursdays, where we listen to old chats episodes. And we're wrapping up our third season back there. So someday it might catch up to the real show. It's technically impossible, but who knows? Uh, anything is, is really possible in this kooky world. If you like chats and the things that we say into microphones here, then consider rating us on your podcast platform of choice. Pretty please. We appreciate that. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can throw your coins to us at patreon.com slash chatspod. We have tiers at one, three, and five dollars a month. At a dollar a month, you get the chats files where Magellan watches the X Files and eats Chinese chicken, like in the Bare Naked Lady song. And he watches with no lights on. It's awesome. I love your podcast. Um at $3 a month, you get our backlog of content, which includes Chats Nights, our hangout show, Commentary Chats, our movie commentary show, and Pilot Chats, where we pilot TV series to watch on the main feed. Um, we have so much stuff over there, and you can also vote on what we talk about every month via a wheel that gets spun monthly. And finally, at $5 a month, you get all of the above, plus you get thanked at the end of the episode on the main feed. So, that being said, thank you to our current $5 patrons who are the following. Arthur, Jen, Kat, Magellan's mom, Marcus, Mike, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Fenden, Six, Stefan, and who could forget, Andrew. Thank you so much for keeping the, the lights on here at Chat Studios in sunny Santa Clarita, California, where they filmed all of Drive uh chatspod.com is the source of all things chats pod and thank you if you like our podcast art that is created by camilla strader on your social media platforms camilla is our wonderful title art artist and she's really awesome you should check out her stuff Woo! let's drive this baby into the garage with a final segment here it's called chatsums magellan and i and whoever else is on the podcast each get to recommend a thing a uh, piece of media, an experience, something you can chomp into, like a little pickle, to enjoy between now and next week's Chats episode. And John, what is your Chatsum for this week? I have three, four Chatsums for you here. They're all watching stuff, some movies and a stretch of TV episodes. So I went and saw my dad uh, this past week. I was on spring break. And whenever we spend time together, we watch movies and uh, I rewatched a movie and then saw a new film that oddly make for like a very good double feature, I think, because I think the new film either intentionally or unintentionally borrowed quite a bit from this film I rewatched. So I the new one that I went and saw was the uh, what's the fucking name of this movie? The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Is that right? The Nick That's Cage exactly movie? Right. Yeah. yeah. 
um, where it's like Nick Cage is playing fictional Nick Cage, who it's uh, it's a whole thing. He like makes a move. He gets into the CIA and it makes a movie and it's a thing. Um, and he's like playing kind of a, you know, exaggerated the way that we think of Nick Cage as a cartoon character. He's like playing that as himself and has an arc. The movie that I rewatched was Birdman. Uh, Birdman is fucking awesome. And if you're looking for two movies that are about guys playing fictional versions of themselves in a way that's like a little deranged and you haven't seen anybody do it in that way before they hear the voice of a version twisted version of themselves. That's obsessed with fame and hungry for fame. They have a strained relationship with their daughter that they repair over the course of the film, as well as a strained relationship with an ex-wife that they repair over the course of the film. Uh, They have a kind of unusual male bond with a fellow artist that challenges them and uh, also allows them to flourish creatively in a way they didn't expect. It's uh, both films do all of those, those things. Uh, And, uh, one is more cynical than the other, and I won't tell you which one I think is which, because I think it's up for debate. But Did you also Bird- mention? Oh. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Did you also mention that Birdman, in addition to the unbearable weight of massive talent, also has yep. a long subtitle? Yeah. The unexpected virtue of ignorance. There yeah. it is. I love it. Yeah. So there you go. And then um, my other pair of chatsums when I was flying back to the East Coast, there were two things that gave me comfort on the plane ride. Um, one of those things, well, I also watched the movie Office Space, which is fine. It's not not their <laughs> best, but it's not bad. Um, but I watched the film A League of Their Own, which is lovely, save for some early 90s weirdness and the way that it tries to like totally dodge the question of race. Oh, let's not talk about it. Um, but otherwise, it's really fun. 90s baseball movie. Um, it's a it's a delight. And then the other way that I had the 90s help me to have fun on the plane was I started to watch, and I am continuing to watch, my favorite stretch of Friends episodes. I think this is when Friends was at its best, which is season five, the first half of season five, when Chandler and Monica are conducting a secret relationship that they're trying to hide from everybody else. It's some of the best sitcom stuff in the whole show. And it ends with the best episode uh, of Friends, which is the one where everybody finds out, where everybody finds out. So hmm. you should watch that. Anyway, Alan, chat some? Uh, 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 beans. Um, I rec- my chat some is eating beans. What kind of beans? Um, beans that taste like my favorite band, which I need to recommend to people again, which is Metric. Oh, um, yeah, I got you there. Metric I threw, beans. I, yeah, Metric. It's a Metric crap ton of beans. Um, folks who have listened to chats for a while or are patrons of us know that I love Metric more than most things, and they are coming with uh, out with a new song this Thursday, as of this recording, and I'm really, really excited. It's nice to be excited about something like that. I miss their music. They Their band was separated due to the quarantine for COVID, and they're back together. They're making music. Life is good again. 
I've been listening back to Fantasies, which is my favorite metric album. And I've probably chats on it before, and I need to chat some it again. It's it's basically a no-skip perfect album to me. Um, they've helped me through a lot of really tough times. I love them. And you should listen to Metric if you're interested in things that I like. Um, and then just for a secondary chat, I'm to give something new for folks. Uh, I discovered a band, or uh, this is new to me, the band Pup or Pup the Band. Um, they have a new album from this year called The Unraveling of Pup the Band, which is a very, very fun pop punk kind of album, sort of a 2000s throwback with some amazing lyrics in there. It's very real. It's very raw. It's like a modern day mountain goats. A lot of like guy yelling, but with some, whoa, why does Siri always want to talk to me about guys yelling? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Pup the Band, The Unraveling of Pup the Band, their latest album is Fire. And uh, I think people should check it out if you're interested in what modern pop punk sounds like. So that's what I got for you, folks. All of our British listeners are turning off the podcast and maybe the rest <laughs> of you should too. Thank you to Magellan for, because we're done guys. That's the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you to Magellan for being the Karina to my Alex Tully. Oh, I'm going to throw you in a van. <laughs> So that's how they justify them ending up together is like my wife didn't really love me this whole time, I guess. Oh, smart. Smart and true. Sure, that works. Not good, but smart and true. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Drive Chats. Mm-hmm.